Hi, I'm your host, Brenda Close. And I'm your co-host, Kaylee Smalley. And this is our podcast, Treasuring Education. Education. Kaylee, today we're talking with Joan Polzine, who is a friend of mine who I met at an international business conference. And we became fast friends when we found our connection in education, in our love of children and learning. Um, Joan, it's so good to have you here today. Oh, I am thrilled to be here and to, to be able to have this venue. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Joan, and your, your journey? Okay, well, um, I just wanted to say that people know me in a lot of different ways. A lot of people know me as an educator uh, for more than 30 years. Um, I'm a mother of two beautiful daughters, talented daughters, and a grandmother to five grandchildren, ages 2 to 12. And some people know me as a business owner and an advocate for justice for individuals and families and businesses. And some people know me as an advocate for women and children, which is so true. And some people know me as a musician. And some know me as a support group leader for a health condition that has affected over 2% of the entire population of the world. Joan, what health condition is that? It's called ankylosing spondylitis. And it's like uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, it's no better, no worse, and it goes undiagnosed a lot. And that's another whole conversation that we could have because I know that you know people that have this, they just don't know they have it. So that's my role is to help educate people with that as well. Um, what you may not know is that I'm very passionate about the mental, physical, and spiritual health of our children today. Um, I'm a passionate about helping our parents and our caregivers to help those children who feel overwhelmed, helpless, and alone on their journey of nurturing and guiding their children toward a happy life. So I appreciate everything that you are doing because your mission is very much my mission as well. And there are so many moving parts to that. And parents get overwhelmed again by which moving part should I use to, to help the children. Agreed. And this whole idea of growing gratitude, what a great foundation to begin with. So what brought me to this is... Um, is a, a little bit of a touching story, and I don't mean to upset people or cause any anxiety. Uh, you may have experienced this in your own life. You may know of someone who has experienced this. But my story began with a really deep loss. And my deepest loss was the, the birth of a, a stillborn baby girl. And the pain of losing a child can only be described as a pain to your soul. It's an incredible emotional pain, traumatizing tremors to the physical body like none I had ever experienced or will again. Now, I had been teaching second graders at the time, and I was allotted the usual leave of absence for grieving. And when I returned to the classroom for the first time after such a heavy loss, I was really very fearful. Would I be able to greet these children without seeing my sweet baby in all their faces, without breaking down in tears, 
and leaving the classroom overwhelmed with deep loss. But what happened next changed my life. When I walked into that classroom, I had my very first awestruck moment that I was in the presence of 26 miracles. Children who had survived birth. I was looking at glorious little human beings who were on this planet, ready to experience all that life had to offer. The power of joy, of love, of gratitude overwhelmed me. Out of my extreme grief, I had found tear-felt joy. So I learned that we have choices to see the miracles of life or only the painful wounds. Your clarity of vision does not take away that, that pain of loss or sorrow, but it helps you see more clearly for what we can be grateful for. In our deepest grief, we have much to be grateful for. Philip Watkins, who happens to be in my uh, area here in eastern Washington, is a university psychologist. And he has spent the last two decades studying the psychology behind gratitude and happiness. And he says that there are things that are difficult experiences that actually do for us that help us to attend to the good things in our life that we maybe look or took for granted before. So that's my story of how I got started. Joan, I'm so sorry for your loss, but I'm so grateful that you were able to to find healing through your work. Um, it's very relatable, and I appreciate you share, having you know the courage, the courage to, share to share that. It's a truth, and not until you asked me to speak here did I, I had to go back and analyze what it was that triggered my desire to go forward with um, helping parents uh, help children and themselves uh, grow gratitude. So, June, what's the problem that parents and caregivers are facing today? Oh, my gosh. Almost what aren't they? And I know you are in the, you're in a different realm than I am. Um, but what I see, number one, parents and caregivers are concerned. And I'm going to use words, feeling words, because parents and caregivers are concerned and they feel helpless and embarrassed about their child's ungrateful behavior. And number two, parents and caregivers are afraid that they're raising spoiled, entitled children. There's nothing more embarrassing than to have your own child throw a fit in a grocery store, right? <laughs> it was only one time, Mom, one time. <laughs> Publicly, great. <laughs> oh, the truth is coming here. Oh, yeah, we all have those stories. And the fear that people are judging you is... um is something that, that really hangs heavy on parents and caregivers. And parents and caregivers see a mental health risk among our youth, and they want ways to support young people's well-being 
as well as their academic learning, especially during this stressful world events like COVID or tragic events in their communities. We've had those here. We've had school shootings. We've had um, suicides. We've had a lot of tragedy within our little communities that gives me goosebumps to talk about because it doesn't feel like it should be something we should have to talk about, but it is. And it's not over. Just when it's over, it is not over. And a lot of people suffer PTSD from this. It's not just war veterans that have PTSD. People are, are the, that wrong assumption. Parents and caregivers feel that society will look poorly on them for sending these children into society. And they don't want to be labeled as a bad parent. And parents and caregivers fear that they may enable these children to always be dependent on them or society to provide for their needs. Absolutely. So another one of the concerns for parents and caregivers is that they're exhausted. And they're exhausted from their own life duties. And they do not have the patience to teach gratitude, even if they knew how. And then parents and caregivers do not feel that they have the skills to teach gratitude. And they question their own gratitude. How grateful am I? How can I teach my children gratitude when I don't even feel very grateful right now? And then parents and caregivers feel that they don't have the time to teach gratitude when schoolwork seems to take all their time with homework help and virtual classrooms requiring more parent monitoring. Yep. Uh, I can speak to that a little bit. Just so I'm a speech language pathologist, and a lot of times, um, parents don't only feel like they don't have time to teach gratitude, but they also feel like they don't have time to teach things that fall by the wayside that are so important, like gratitude, communication in general is hugely important, and I, I think there needs to be that priority. So you you have to find out what's important to you. We we as a society need to prioritize what's important in education, and I think gratitude and communication and human skills are so important. Kaylee, research supports skills to teach gratefulness can be simple, and they can be easy, and they are low cost, and they can be taught just like you teach to ride a bicycle or to drive a car, you can teach gratitude. And actually, I might say that it might be easier than teaching your teenage driver to drive a car (laughs) because your life is not uh, in danger, (laughs) right? So my goal is to make a difference in one child at a time. One child growing in gratitude has monumental effects with family relationships, with peers, and their future life-work relationships, and when they become future parents. It's a huge ripple effect. Agreed. Those skills that we learn in childhood that we can carry on to our own children, to our into our adult lives, that's the basis of who we are. And if we can give our children that strong foundation of a strong character in which gratitude ultimately feeds into, then we're raising good people. Exactly. So can you 
Just get us back to basics and give us a definition of gratitude. What is it? Well, and if you asked people, they would have a lot of different things. The first one that probably comes to mind to most people is, well, please and thank you and the handle words that you teach toddlers, which is very important. But there's a lot more to it than that. The man that I have the greatest esteem for, who's done the most research, he's the leading research developer on gratitude, is Robert Emmons, E-M-M-O-N-S. He's an American uh, psychologist and professor at UC Davis, and he's done extensive research in the field of personality psychology and emotion psychology. And he says gratitude is a sense of thankfulness and joy in response to receiving a gift, whether the gift is a tangible benefit from a specific other person or, and I love this, a moment of peaceful bliss evoked by natural beauty. That's lovely. I love the idea of that and the feeling that just that definition gives. Have you both had that experience where you're standing in nature or you're somewhere where you're just overwhelmed? You're looking at the night sky or you're, you're just some, in some ways you feel so small. And then in other ways, in a split second, you can feel so powerfully amazing. Honestly, I feel like the entire state of Idaho, anywhere you go, just evokes that emotion for me. That's a huge <laughs> reason why I'm here. So, Oh, that is, that is great. You've chosen a place that, that brings that to you. He also says it's an emotion and it's a mood or it's a personality trait, a life orientation to notice and appreciate the positive in life. Examining the thought that we're born with a personality for gratitude would make one believe that, well, teaching or growing gratitude is not a worthwhile cause because you either have it or you don't. I don't believe that for a minute. But, and you don't believe that. Okay. Well, Robert Emmons and research does not support that notion. The good news is, yes, we can teach gratitude. So do you want to know why we need to practice gratitude? I was actually wondering, Joan, why do we practice gratitude then? So when you practice gratitude, it gives greater social support, both perceived and actual, from friends and family. It strengthens relationships. It makes us feel closer and more committed to friends and partners. And I'm going to just go down through some of the highlights of some of these things. Are going to um, It's almost like a list. And there's so much that we could go into depth on each one of these. But this is just an overview. And my goal is to help the listener here understand the value of gratitude so that you walk away from this realizing that, yes, this is something to be attained. Absolutely. It gives you a protection from stress and depression over time. It makes people happier. Who wants doesn't want to be happier or their kids to be happier? More optimistic, more satisfied with satisfied with school, you guys. Studies suggest it makes students feel better about their school. 
It also makes teachers, hello, feel more satisfied and accomplished and less emotionally exhausted, possibly reducing teacher burnout. Have you experienced that when people share gratitude with you, whether it's a note to you from a student, from a parent, from even your colleagues or peers? I Just to give you an example, I got a little, um, I, I don't know where, I got it on Facebook or something from one of my former students. And he just posted, he's grown and has his own children. He said, Mrs. Paulzine, every child should be blessed to have had a teacher like you in their life. I wrote it down. It's on my clipboard. And that meant the world to me because we don't know who we've affected. Well, I have been in the classroom for 10 to 12 years. I've kind of lost track. Um, and one thing that really hit me hard was when one of Kaylee's friends, who was a student of mine, posted a thank you to me on Kaylee's website because she was grateful to have had me as a teacher. And she explained a very specific situation in which I made a situation easier for her. And that just made me feel so wonderful. Oh, And it makes it all worth it. I've ha I have definitely experienced teacher burnout, having been in the classroom for a few years. Kaylee's only been in the classroom for a short time, but I think she's got a short story to tell. Yeah, I actually... Just making it even smaller. So it, it gratitude is just an ounce of it can go such a long way because for Valentine's Day, my um, students and staff put together a goodie bag and just said it, it's such a, a treat to know you. And it was oh. something so small, but it made such a huge difference in my entire day and just my even my desire to be in that environment. I'm going to write that down. Because we need it. We all need to know that we make a difference in this world. You can have gratitude, but sharing it with someone else is makes it even more powerful and meaningful. It gives emotional support to others. Um, some more things on the list. More equitable division of labor between partners. So if you're in a marriage relationship or a significant other being sure that you've heard this before, that you're filling their bucket. Absolutely. The opposite of feeling gratitude toward your partner is feeling taken for granted by your partner or your family. And I know how quickly that can bring a person down. And the inverse of that, the love and gratitude, can just bring the whole family atmosphere way up. And that was, those are adults. Think about the kids. Yes. And how it affects them. We have skills and, and ways to process things. Kids do not oftentimes have that. So pro gratitude, ironically, promotes forgiveness. Again, these are all topics we could spend a lot of time on. It makes you physically healthier and report fewer symptoms such as headaches, stomach aches, and runny noses. This is documented research. Who documented the runny nose? I don't know. But it's on here. <laughs> <laughs> and kids are more engaged with schoolwork and their hobbies. And believe it or not, it actually it gives them higher grades. Yeah. Sure. And they're less envious. They're less depressed. I mentioned that. Less materialistic. And they sleep better. And gratitude makes us more resilient. Resiliency is a very important word, especially when you're dealing with uh, children of high risk. What is it that makes children resilient? 
And gratitude is the top of the list, believe it or not. They've talked about having a mentor. There are all other things that they can do to help a child be resilient. But gratitude, if somebody has helped them to learn that skill, it can change their life. And it's helped people recover from traumatic events, including the Vietnam War, as I started to mention, the PTSD. If you're victims of natural disasters, think about all the natural disasters we have. I think of the children and the people living under violent political conflict. We've just had a little of that in our country. When I think of what we had in our country, and then I think of the countries that go through this every year or even six times a year, you know, they're going through it all the time. I think about the children who are in uh, immigration camps. And I'm not trying to get political here. I'm trying to think about the children and the effects it's having on them. Certainly. I just love this. I love this. Gratitude expands the soul, softens the heart, and brings joy to life. That's beautiful. Joan, my next question was about how important gratitude is, but I think you really said it all with that. <laughs> if that list was not long enough for you gals and listeners, Jeffrey Froth and Giacomo Bono, in their book, wrote, you'll have a better family life and you'll provide a greater foundation for your children to enter the world, ready to flourish into caring adults, and will make kids more receptive to everything that the world has to offer, including what they can learn from their teachers, their parents, their friends, community, and nature, creating an upward spiral of positivity and resulting in even more gratitude. So you see, it's more like it's the opening tool or device to be receptive to what's available to them. I am a firm believer in creating gratitude practice because it pivots our awareness. Who do you see in our audience as the most important people to understand and know how to teach gratitude? Well, parents are the first ones that come to mind, of course. Parents, teachers, pastors, counselors, foster parents. And anyone who works with young children, it could be even their piano teacher, their violin teacher, mm -hmm. where they have a one-on-one -on -one opportunity or in a small group to uh, interact with children and actually model gratitude. We want to boost gratitude in all children. And there's some research that says that from the age of six on, that you can actually start teaching gratitude and they are aware of it. But there is some research that says that it can happen before that. And I have a great story about that. I have grandchildren as my subjects, right? And I have a two-year-old grandson who comes here one day a week on Friday mornings and I have great time with him. We play games and that kind of thing. Well, he's two years old and we're sitting down to play a game and he just shocked me because he said, you go first. Now, a two-year-old is, as you know, very egocentric. Sure. And it's extremely rare for a child at two to have that sense of otherness. And so I asked him, and he's pretty verbal. I said, well, who taught you that, that it's okay for other people to go first? He couldn't tell me. 
But then when I interviewed his nine-year-old brother later, he said, oh, I always talk to him about that. And we take turns. So I want parents to know they should never underestimate the value of siblings in this process of modeling and mentoring for littles. They learn so much more than we actually expect them to from their siblings and the friends that we have around them. It's important to have that strong environment. Because there needs to be a consistent message across our society, how valuable it is. Agreed. Absolutely agree. I'm so glad that you mentioned foster parents because so many, especially of our kids who've experienced trauma, part of that trauma results in being placed in a foster care system. And every little piece that a foster parent can add to rebuild those children is just vital to their happiness and they're getting along in the world. We'll continue our discussion with Joan Paul Zine during our next episode.